following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. You can't fire me. I'm your son. Prove it. Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. Episode 121. We're going back to 1985. I seem like I'm hovering in the mid-80s lately. It's not something I actually planned, but oh well, it is what it is. Uh, Yeah, so we're going to go back to 1985 this week. We're going to talk about a movie that was done by the writer who worked with Mel Brooks in a lot of different films. This was his only film he ever directed. Some people would say good. Other people would say... It would have been nice to see what else he would have done. Starring Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr. from 1985, Transylvania 6, 5,000. But first. Okay, so new movie got released April 1st. A little polarizing. What else is new? Um, yeah. This time starring Jared Leto. Or Leto? Is it Leto? I don't know. I never know. I always say Jared Leto. Anyways, um, Sony, Marvel. Um, you know, Marvel, they always make such great movies. Everybody loves their movies. Well, I'm not sure about this one. Morbius was released April 1st. And I'm not going to lie, my curiosity was piqued. So I decided to give it a whirl. Now... From what I've picked up, you know, through the internet, the social medias and stuff, I've heard that most, like, comic book movie fans and critics, well, they hate this movie. And, yeah, I've read some of that hate. I've even discussed some of that hate with people. But horror fans have kind of said that if the blood was left in instead of taken out, because when you're watching it, there's a lot of edited shots that you're like, I think there was some blood there, and they took it out. You know, they want need they wanted to preserve their PG thirteen rating. 
The thing is, is I think if the blood was left in, this movie isn't half bad at all. I'm, I mean, I don't know. At least for me, I walked into it. Okay, I walked away from this movie going, okay, so what movie did audiences watch? Again, I do wonder if this is that whole toxic fandom thing striking again, because Morbius for me is not half bad at all. Heck, it was actually quite entertaining. And that's the thing. It's an entertaining flick. The atmosphere is really perfect for the film. It's very dark and somewhat almost Batman-ish in a way. I mean, you're dealing with a doctor who's, you know, playing around with bats and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's going to have that. The part I really loved about this movie was the score. Uh, score was done done by John Ekstrand, who also did the score for the movie Life. That came back. It came out what uh, I, I want to say 2014, 2016, something like that. Anyways, he did the the score for this, and I really do like it. It's haunting. It's very. Um, it's almost like a minimal score, but at the same time, it just sets the mood just perfect. I don't know. I thought it was good. I thought the pacing was solid. I mean. I read some people were saying that it jumped around a lot. I don't I don't get that. For me, this seemed like a very linear story to me. Um, I will admit the the middle act, eh, it slows down a little bit. It, uh, you know, whatever. It slows the pace down a bit. But I find that with a lot of movies. The second act always seems to slow down the movie. And then the third act really picks up again. Um, so you look at your three starring leads in this movie, Jared Leto, Matt Smith, and Adria Arjona, and all three are really good in their roles as, you know, Jared Leto is Michael Morbius, uh, Matt Smith is Lucian slash Milo, and Adria Arjona is Martine Bancroft, and all three of them were really good, and also there's... If you're paying attention to the movie, there's kind of like hidden eggs uh, that were, you know, giving nods to roles they've played in the past and whatnot. They were kind of smile-worthy and whatnot, especially for Jared Leto and Matt Smith. There is one Doctor Who little egg in there that, you know, people who are fans of the 11th Doctor will totally, like, giggle at. Uh, There's post-credit scenes, two of them. I'm not sure what people thought were bad about them. Uh, I have read a couple of criticisms about supposedly they could tell a certain actor wasn't that actor okay um have you guys ever watched movies spookies you know i don't know and i think i think maybe that's why i i walked away from morbius going i enjoyed that i'm not gonna lie i've seen a lot of crappy movies so when i see a movie like this and people you know the mainstreamers are calling this movie garbage i don't tend to agree because I actually found it entertaining. I do admit, the CGI in this film, <laughs> it leaves something to be desired. Um, it kind of reminds me like um, Matrix Reloaded, how it was almost like a downgrade from the Matrix. You know, the CGI seemed a little bit dated and whatnot. Well, it's it's the same with this. I mean, we've seen Marvel movies that are like really gorgeous, and then this, and you can tell the CGI and whatnot. But I mean, whatever... It, not every movie can be Lord of the Rings, right? I, at least that's just the way I approach things. For me, if the story's good, I, I can let the CGI be what it is. I guess each to their own. But honestly, Morbius is nowhere near as bad as it's being called. Um, not Here's the thing. I mean, I'm not really sure what people expect from a movie about a doctor experimenting with bat blood. 
to heal himself of a disease and in turn it basically makes him a vampire i mean think about that for a minute okay all i know like i walked away from this movie going okay marshallah ali needs to be blade like yesterday um we need that because we were robbed of you know morbius and blade squaring off that was actually supposed to be blade too there was a whole like hidden uh what was it it's, well not hidden scene it was a deleted scene where it showed like morbius was standing on a building looking at blade and karen at the end of blade one and then blade two was supposed to be blade versus morbius and that never happened so we were robbed of that i think it's time to rectify that i want to see jared leto's morbius going up against marshallah ali's blade like i i need that now so i don't know it, yes people will criticize morbius i don't I don't think it's worthy of the criticism. That's that's my opinion. Moving on to some kind of really cool news. Okay, so you guys know I'm a big fan of Shudder. Well, there's something else that was announced this past week that has my attention peaked. Um, so Shout Factory, they have their, their sub-brand Scream Factory, right? Well, for those of you who know, Shout Factory, um, they have their own... Um, live streaming television network right like it's shout factory tv or whatever anyways they are launching scream factory tv on april 15th it's a new 24 7 tv channel based on the horror sub brand from shout factory and i mean you look at the history of shout factory they were launched back in 2002 as retropolis entertainment um they focused on releasing feature films classic and contemporary television series animation live music sports la 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 la. they released it on vhs and then eventually went to dvd and blu-ray and digital and a lot of the times they went for titles that were previously unavailable well now as they've done with shout factory giving it its own tv channel and there's other tv channels as well they have a mystery science theater 3k channel that's you know 24 7 is mystery science theater and stuff like that well anyways they're doing that now with scream factory tv which will basically be a home to all the favorite horror films that they have the rights to they will be uncensored so they're not going to censor anything and it's going to be all their thriller and sci-fi films from the past it's going to host a whole slew of movies um i wrote down the whole list i'm only going to mention a few of them Uh, we're talking movies like black christmas Carnival of Souls, Cat and Nine Tales, Chopping Mall, uh, The Exorcist 3, House on Haunted Hill, Humanoids from the Deep, uh, Nightbreed, The Director's Cut, what else is in there? Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, which kind of a shame because they're not going to have Part 1, but they'll at least have Part 2, Sleepaway Camp, um, Willard, and Witchboard, Piranha, uh, last man on earth i mean the list goes on and on and on there's so many different movies but now they will have their own live channel which they will stream 24 7 kind of cool like i mean on shutter there is the shutter tv aspect that they always show like a couple they'll pick a couple movies and they'll play them over and over throughout a 24 hour period or whatever well this will be you know shout factories you know or scream factories version of that so it's kind of cool actually and now um the shout factory tv channel is available through (laughs) it's basically available everywhere i usually watch it either through plex or their official website 
but it's also available on Roku, Roku TVs, Apple TV, uh, Pluto TV, Twitch. Twitch has a, a Shout Factory channel and whatnot. Anyways, as it stands right now for Scream Factory, it'll only be through the website. Um, I haven't seen anything else in terms of another app or whatnot, but I mean, it's safe to assume that I, I, I'm thinking as the time goes on, it will get released through other different apps, whether it be through like Amazon or, you know, Twitch or whatever. Popcorn Flicks is another one. You know, I, I'm sure it's going to get released throughout other apps as well. It's just to start, it will be on their website. So, hey. I'm okay with that. My computer's hooked up to my big screen TV anyways. It's basically my streaming entertainment center as it is. <laughs> I'm good. I'll just load up the website and stream away. Uh, I have one bit of final news I want to talk about. A uh, certain reboot. certain reboot has been announced yet again. I mean, keep in mind, it wasn't even a year ago that The Crow had a totally different remake in the works where Jason Momoa was supposed to be the crow. He was going to be um, Eric Draven. And, I mean, there were criticisms about that because, you know, Jason Momoa is a big, bulky guy and Eric Draven's supposed to be skinny and scrawny. Well, apparently, a year later now, we're, you know, we're in 2022, Pennywise the Dancing Clown is going to be our new Eric Draven, apparently. Yes, this time, Bill Skarsgård will be playing... The Avenging Angel, known as the Crow. Um, he'll be Eric Draven. Uh, so, here's the thing. A lot of people like him as Pennywise. I actually didn't have a problem with him as Pennywise. Some of the CGI in that movie, kind of like Morbius. You know, CGI, okay, whatever. I'm not a big CGI guy. So, I, I'm usually critical of it right from the get-go. But, other than that, I mean, in terms of the portrayal of Pennywise, Skarsgård was great. And, I mean, he was also... Castle Rock. He was in Castle Rock as well, and I thought he was really good in that. I mean, he's a great actor, and he's apparently going to be in John Wick 4. So, I mean, I'm already a huge John Wick fan. I love all three films. I'm looking forward to the fourth. He's going to be in that. So, I like this guy. I like this actor, and I think he's good. I think that this should be... Okay, so here's the other thing. I should mention this before I, I give my initial, like, my final thoughts on it. Rupert Sanders is the director. Now, he has done movies like Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell. Yes, he did the live-action Ghost in the Shell. And here's that that film, Ghost in the Shell. I personally don't mind it. I mean, it doesn't follow the Ghost in the Shell that I love and adore, like, you know, all the standalone complex and Arise and all that stuff. It doesn't follow that, but I didn't really hate it. And I mean, visually, it's a fucking gorgeous movie. So, I don't know how people will react to the fact that Rupert Sanders is directing this, but I do know that Bill Skarsgård is a beloved actor that I think a lot of people will get behind. Plus, he's he's a skinnier, smaller guy. Easier to believe that he's Eric Draven and whatnot. So, I think it'll work. I honestly think he'll be okay. Now, the whole thing is, is does this movie actually happen? Because how many times have we heard, oh, The Crow is being rebooted? We've been hearing this, I think, since, what, 2011? Possibly even earlier than that. So, who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of tricky to say what's going to happen with that. But, I mean, as it stands right now, Rupert Sanders is the director and Bill Skarsgård is our new Crow. He's our Eric Draven. So, I'm... 
currently okay with it. Let's put it that way. But now, from vampires, screams, and men coming back from the dead, we're going to move on to our featured review of the week, kids. About a movie with vampires, screams, and a man coming back from the dead. Sort of. Trailer time out. And when we return, we will follow the journey of two renowned journalists from a great tabloid. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to follow their journey to the travels uh, to the old country, the country of Transylvania, and their very legitimate search for the facts to the fiction of the monster people mistakenly call Frankenstein um, because it's Frankenstein's monster. Not Frankenstein. Frankenstein was the name of the doctor. But in this movie, they call him Frankenstein. Okay, it is what it is. Anyways, Rudy De Luca. He, uh, he worked a lot with Mel Brooks. Well, this is his only directing attempt. It's a monster homage to the Universal Studio Monster movies. It's a movie called Transylvania 6 5000. Trailer now, back in a splat, kids. It began as a routine assignment. Transylvania. Where is that? I don't know. It's over there someplace. But beneath the surface... Transylvania's cute. cute. ...of this happy land, ah. horror awaits them. Ah. I'm investigating Frankenstein. You mean the monster? And a terrible secret lurks in the shadows. Oh. I'm terribly sorry. We thought you were an animal. He is. Now they're discovering the truth. Did you see Dracula? Yeah, yeah, when it first came out. About the creatures of the night. Shut up, you lowlife. I am low. I'm low. The curse of the undead. Huh? Did you want to hurt me? Hurt you? No. Bite you? The terror of the full moon. Oh, yeah, going into town. And the monster that science created. Full house. But could not destroy. This is hurt. Does this hurt? Good. Everything hurts. Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Ed Begley Jr. Hi, ladies. Joseph Bologna. Oh. And Gina Davis. Tell me you want me to. <laughs> For a good time, call. Transylvania 6, 5,000. <laughs> it's good, huh? Just going back to Morbius for a minute. I just want to say, I do understand that not everyone is going to like the movie and that people have different opinions and all that sort of stuff. I was just putting my opinion out there and I don't want to make it because you know what? We see this way too much. People always acting like their opinion is the only right opinion and this and that people will say movies are dumpster fires and they're awful and they're horrible. And this and that that's your opinion. And everyone can have their opinion. I was just putting out mine. I don't see where the problem was with Morbius. Same with, I don't see where the problem is with this movie that I'm about to talk about, but there are people that hate these movies for whatever reason, maybe they're miserable that day. Maybe it's just not their thing and they should watch the movie in the first place. I don't know. Um, because the movie I'm about to talk about got a lot of hate. And some of it is, you know, downright like mean. Uh, <laughs> especially Leonard Malton's review. That was kind of hurtful. But anyways, I'll get into that later. 
Anyways, so going into this movie, obviously, that I'm going to be talking about, Transylvania 65000. Again, another movie that's sort of polarizing. Some people feel it's a, a cheesy piece of shit, and other people feel it's a cheesy piece of gold. So without further ado, let's just start talking about this movie. Transylvania 65000 was released in North America November 8th, 1985. It was written and directed by Rudy DeLuca, who's an actor, writer, and director known primarily for his work with Mel Brooks. He worked on such projects as like Silent Movie, High Anxiety, History of the World Part 1, Life Stinks, Spaceballs, Robin Hood Men in Tights, and Dracula Dead and Loving It. He also did voice work on the animated series for Spaceballs in 2008. And as I said before, I'll say it again, Transylvania 65000 is the only feature film that Rudy ever directed. Aside from a TV movie that he did called Peeping Times in 1978, which Alan, uh, what's it, Alan Oppenheimer and David Letterman starred in that movie. I mean, David Letterman. I actually never realized that David Letterman was an actor, which is kind of sad. I probably should have known that. But yeah, he actually was in that movie. But yeah, this film, Transylvania 65000, is the only time that Rudy ever directed an actual feature film. The film was produced by Mace Neufeld and Thomas H. Brodeck. Now, Mace was, uh, he was a producer for 46 different projects, uh, which include The Omen, Omen 2, and Omen 4. Uh, the Fun House, which actually Screen Factory just announced this morning, is getting a 4K release, so that's pretty cool. Uh, he also was the producer for The Punisher in 1989, The Hunt for Red October, Flight of the Intruder, Beverly Hills Cop 3. He didn't do the first two, but he did the third one. Uh, the movie The Saint with Val Kilmer, I believe 1997 was when that one came out. And then uh, the following year, he did Lost in Space, uh, Bless the Child, The Sum of All Fears, Invictus, which is a really good flick. And he worked, uh, he produced the uh, both The Equalizer and The Equalizer 2. Um... Sadly, he passed away earlier this year, in 2022. Uh, he passed away in January at the age of 93. Uh, I believe he was in his home in Beverly Hills when he passed away. But 93, that's a nice full year, or full life, I should say, of years of films that are all like very beloved films. And then you have Thomas. Uh, he was a producer and production manager. He worked on uh, projects like The Aviator, uh, the Principal with Jim Belushi and Louis Gossett Jr. I swear to God, if this wasn't a horror and sci-fi podcast, I would actually review that movie because the movie is fucking awesome. But uh, maybe I do one day just for the hell of it. But anyways, uh, Thomas also uh, produced uh, some Stephen King-based miniseries and films and whatnot. Uh, Storm of the Century, Rose Red, The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer, and he worked on Kingdom Hospital. Now, moving on to the cinematographer. Uh, cinematography was done by Tomislav Pinter, but he went by Tom Pinter for this. Uh, Croatian cinematographer. He worked on 144 films uh, and shows and whatnot. Uh, they were mainly Croatian, Yugoslavian, uh, or European films. Um, now, I should say, though, that after doing this movie, uh, what was it? He did... 
The Dirty Dozen, The Deadly Mission, and The Dirty Dozen, The Fatal Mission. They were uh, TV movies in the late 80s uh, that starred Telly Savalas and Ernest Borgnine. The cool thing is, is that The Deadly Mission, the first one I mentioned, also featured Tom Matthews from Friday the 13th Part 6 and Return of the Living Dead. And then The Fatal Mission, which was the second one I mentioned, featured Ernie Hudson, everyone's favorite Zedmore from Ghostbusters, who was also Officer Albrecht from da, 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 The Crow. And I figured I should mention that because, you know, we talked about The Crow earlier. Uh, Tom Pinter, however, passed away at the age of 82 in August of 2008 uh, in his hometown of Zagreb, Croatia. Um, yeah, I tried to not get so down on that. There's a few names attached to this movie that are no longer with us, so it might come up a couple more times. Um, the music for this film was done, the score, I should say, was done by Lee Holdrich. Uh, he has 229 composer credits to his name. Busy, busy man. Uh, Paul Chitton is the one who did the theme song for Transylvania 65000, but Lee is the one who did the score. Uh, Lee also did other stuff that we might like from this podcast. You know, the, the listeners, you guys might like uh, The Beastmaster from 1982. Oh, no, I do. It's, <laughs> it's a gem. Um,. A Michael Keaton gem in the name of Mr. Mom. Yeah, he worked on that. He worked on Splash, which is a 1984 movie starring Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. I believe that's the one where Daryl Daryl Hannah, sorry, is a mermaid. If I remember correctly, it's been ages since I've seen that movie. Walk like a man. I did that movie. That's a movie with Howie Mandel, where he's like a. What is that? I saw that years ago too. He was like, I think it was like he was like a caveman that was like trying to, or no, I don't remember. I remember it was something that he he was like from the forest or something. They were trying to civilize him, and it was a funny comedy. I remember it from my youth. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it in a couple decades. Um, born in East LA, with uh, I believe it was Cheech Marin was in that film. Secret in M2, Mutiny, which was a 1999 TV movie that starred uh, Michael Jai White and David Ramsey. Uh, he was also a composer for certain TV series like Moonlighting and Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast uh, being the TV series that starred Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. Now on to our starring cast. Because there's no special effects for this movie, so can move right past that. Starring cast. Uh, it's a big cast. Um, a lot of big names, too, for a movie that is generally hated. <laughs> um, anyways, let's start with Jeff Goldblum as Jack Harrison. And where do we know Jeff from? Well, we know him from movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1978. That was one of his earlier, earlier, earlier films. Uh, he did The Fly. Obviously he did The Fly. He did Jurassic Park. He's going to be in the new Jurassic Park film um, that's coming out, uh, is it May of this year or June? I can't remember. Um, I know it's around that time. I, I, it's horrible. I should remember this because I really want to see it. But anyways, uh, he was in Earth Girls Are Easy. It's another movie with Gina Davis. Um, Independence Day. I don't know. Some people don't like the movie. I do. I like the movie. I like the first one. I didn't care for the second, but I like the first one. Uh, he was in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, here's a cool thing. He was uncredited 
In the 1994 TV miniseries of The Stand, he was actually the radio announcer in that. So, uh, I mean, Jeff Goldblum's done a lot of shit. He's a busy man, and we love him. Totally great actor. Uh, moving on to Joseph Bologna as Dr. Malavakwa. And he played in other stuff, such as The Woman in Red... Uh, he played in two episodes of Married with Children in 1991. Um, his character's name was Charlie Verducci. He was uh, um, a guy who, uh, he now had a kid. His kid was dating Kelly, but when he was in his younger days, he was in love with Peggy and even had Peggy's name tattooed on his arm and all this other stuff. Anyways, and his son in those two episodes was played by Matt LeBlanc. Uh, Matt was Vinny and Joseph was Charlie. And it was, um, the whole thing was, was because he, he came back into the Bundy's life basically because his son played by Matt LeBlanc was now dating Kelly and this whole nine yard stuff and everything. Anyways, it, two of the funnier episodes from, uh, the early, the earlier days of married with children, I believe that was season four. Uh, Joseph was also in the movie <clears throat> Alligator 2, The Mutation. Yeah. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds 4, Nerds in Love. Yeah. Uh, but he was a recurring voice actor for Superman, the animated series between 1997 and 1998. So we'll let some of those lower end films, we'll give them a pass. <laughs> um, Joseph passed away in 2017 at the age of 82. R.I.P. Because he's actually really awesome in this movie. Um, moving on to Ed Begley Jr. as Gil Turner. 332 acting credits. Fuck. <laughs> I am not writing them all down. Uh, but I did write down a few to name some of them. Uh, Battlestar Galactica from 1978, uh, the movie. And I believe he was also in the series that followed that. He was in Cat People in 1982. He was in the movie Eating Raul. This is Spinal Tap, Streets of Fire. Uh, he was a regular on the TV show Saint Elsewhere as Dr. Victor Ehrlich. And he was in the Tales from the Crypt episode Death of Some Salesman in 1993. He was Fred, uh, was it Fred Stickley? Strictly? Stickley? Something like that. Uh, in Batman Forever, he was, um, he was the boss that, uh, you know, Enigma Enigma basically sends, you know, jumping out the window. Uh, yeah, that was him. Uh, he was also in Kingdom Hospital, and he was in the 1998 film Adam's Family Reunion. That's the one that was straight to VHS, uh, because that was the one where it was Daryl Hannah and Tim Curry uh, were playing Morticia and Gomez because Raul Julia had passed away. So they recast, because uh, this was originally, uh, Adam's Family Reunion was supposed, supposed to go to the theaters. And it was supposed to have Angelica Houston and Raul Julia, and Raul passed away, and so they had to recast. And anyways, Estelle Harris was also in that. She, we all know Estelle Harris as George Costanza's mother from Seinfeld. Uh, and here we go. I'm going down that, you know, that path of you know bringing the 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 happiness of the episode down a little bit because she recently just passed away this past saturday um at the age of 93 
But I will say that Ed was also in Better Call Saul and most recently Young Sheldon. Let's go back up uh, now. Carol Kane as Loopy. I'm not going to lie. This is deep cuts for you guys. When I was a kid, I had the biggest crush on Carol Kane. I don't know what it was. I just thought she was so damn cute. Anyways, she was also in movies like Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. She was in When a Stranger Calls. She was a TV series regular on the show Taxi. She was in Jumpin' Jack Flash, Princess Bride, Scrooged. I love her in Scrooged. Uh, when a Stranger Calls Back, and she was in Adam's Family Values. That was the second one. She played Grandmama, and she was also in Jawbreaker. She was in Gotham, the TV series. She was Oswald Cobblepot's uh, mother, and she was in the movie The Dead Don't Die. Jeffrey Jones as Mayor Lepescu. And we know him from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We know him from Howard the Duck. God, he's awesome in Howard the Duck. <laughs> I'm a big Howard the Duck fan. You guys are all going to have to deal with that because I think the movie is just cinematic gem. Um, he was also in Beetlejuice. Who's Harry Crumb? Mom and Dad Save the World. Ed Wood, Devil's Advocate, and Sleepy Hollow. Yes, I am aware. There is some bad mojo to Jeffrey Jones. He has some problems outside of acting i don't want to focus on that i do know what it's about i know what comes with his name let's just focus on the fact that he's funny in this movie and i want to just focus on his acting abilities only i know what he's done outside of acting moving on to john biner as radu radu i'll get more into it but john biner and carol kane are a fucking highlight in this movie. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But anyways, uh, John Biner was also a uh, part of the Black Cauldron. It was the animated movie. He did voice uh, voice work in that. He was in an episode of the Friday the 13th uh, TV series. Uh, that was in 1988. He was in an episode of Married with Children in 1991. He was in the movie Munchie Strikes Back. Wishmaster in 1997. That's a good one. I may talk about that on this show one day. Uh, and then he was in the 2009 movie National Lampoon's RoboDoc. And I'm not talking about the documentary about RoboCop. I'm talking about something completely different where it was about a doctor that was a robot. Uh, it featured actors like Alan Thicke, David Faustino, and his wife at the time anyways, uh, and Michael Winslow, you know, the guy that does all the sound effects from Police Academy movies. Yeah, that guy, he was in this movie as well. Yeah. I vaguely remember watching it, but not that well. So it's not, not that memorable of a movie. Um, let's keep moving on, though. I got a few more names to get through still. Gina Davis as Odette. She's our, our vampire, our, our vampiris, whatever. Uh, she was also in films like Thelma and Louise, A League of Their Owns, Beetlejuice, The Long Kiss Goodnight, The Fly, Earth Girls Are Easy, Stuart Little and its sequel, she was in the Exorcist TV series the first season. If you've seen that, you know what role she played. She played it awesome. And she was in the movie Ava, most recently with uh, Jessica Chastain, John Malkovich, and Colin Farrell. I don't like Colin Farrell that much, but hey, whatever. From what I've heard, he's a really good penguin. I will be seeing that Batman movie pretty soon, so I guess I'll find out. Um, in terms of the role of Odette, Gina basically got the role because she did an impersonation of Be Bella Lugosi's accent, and Rudy DeLuca was like, 
Uh, you're in. So <laughs> that's how she got that role. It was pretty simple. Michael Richards has Theos. And Michael obviously has been, you know, it, he's Cosmos Kramer. That's what everyone knows him as. I personally remember him as Stanley Spadowski in UHF. That's a great movie. He was also in Airheads. And again, another actor that, yes, I know, had some problems outside of acting. I don't want to focus on that because it's shitty and it's stupid. And the poor guy has, you know, he's apologized, whatever, whether or not he's actually you know, apologetic. I don't know. I don't know him personally. I just want to focus on what he did in this movie. Uh, moving on to Donald Gibb as Larry the Wolfman. And Donald was, uh, he was in what? Two of the Revenge of the Nerds films. He was in the first one and the second one. He was in Meatballs 2. Uh, he was in movies like U.S. Marshals, Hancock, but what do we all remember him from? Honestly, if you're a fan of this podcast and you're a fan of the 80s movies, what do you remember him from? You know where you know Donald Gibb from. He was fucking Ray Jackson in the, in what, the 1988 movie Bloodsport? Come on, he was also in the 1996 sequel with Pat Morita, but we speak not of that one. Um, I, I know some people do like Bloodsport too, but... He was in Bloodsport. He was Ray Jackson. He was he was an awesome character, and we loved him in it. And he's great in this, too. Norman Fell as Mac Turner. He's Gil's father. Uh, Norman Fell, where do we know him from? Well, he's from Three's Company or The Ropers as Stanley Roper. Probably his most famous role that he ever did. But he was also in Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Uh, he was in two episodes of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, if you remember that. And he was also in The Boneyard. Now, for those of you who've been following this show for quite some time, you will remember that I reviewed that movie almost four years ago for episode 15. Yes, so I have actually talked about Norman Fell before on this show, going way back, over 100 episodes back. So if you want to go back and check that out, that was back when I still didn't really know what I was doing with this show. What am I talking about? I still don't know what I'm doing with this show. But anyways, <laughs> Norman passed away in 1998 at the age of 74. Moving on to Teresa Ganzel as Elizabeth. And she was in one episode of Three's Company in 1981. And then she returned to uh, the whole world in Three's a Crowd in 1985. She was part of the TV miniseries Fresno, which actually Michael Richards and Jeffrey Jones were both part of that as well. Um, and there were other store, other stars like uh, Carol Burnett was in that, Bill Paxton, Dabney Coleman, Charles Grodin. Um, but since then, also, Teresa has done some voice work on the Pixar films like Monsters, Inc., Cars, and WALL-E. I love WALL-E. WALL-E is my favorite Pixar film. For any of you that don't know that, now you do. I love the movie Wally. That is by far my favorite. I know everyone, you know, everyone likes Up and they like, you know, the Monsters Incorporated and they, you know, all the Toy Story films and stuff. For me, it's Wally. Wally is my favorite. Uh, Rudy himself, our director, plays Lawrence Melbit. He's Larry's father. I've already talked about him, so move on. Uh, Inge Alpet, Appelt as Madame Morovia. Morovia, sorry. Primarily a Croatian and Yugoslavian actress. She didn't do 
There pretty much. I thought. Okay, so I came across what movie was it? I can't remember the title, but I clicked on it because I was like, "Oh, I know that movie." And then it ended up it was actually just the uh, English translation of a Croatian film. She pretty much did mainly Croatian films. As a matter of fact, the little girl that also plays um, Elizabeth's daughter, she was Croatian as well. Couldn't speak a lick of English. So when she's actually, she has, what, three lines in the whole movie. I think she says, like, two words. <laughs> two words, three lines. I don't know. But she had to learn it, like, phonetically. She didn't even actually know what she was saying. She was just repeating how it sounded to her. Um, finally, I have two left. Uh, both are um, Croatian actors. Bazidar Smiljanic as Inspector Persik. He was in another English-speaking film, though, uh, The Peacemaker in 1997 with George Clooney and Nicole Kidman. And then finally, Petar Buntik as Hunyadi, also our quote-unquote Frankenstein. Um, I bring him up because he did stunt work for the 1990 Captain America movie that starred Matt Salinger as Steve Rogers and also had Ronnie Cox and Ned Beatty in it, which Ned Beatty is another actor who's done both DC and Marvel movies doing Captain America and Superman. Okay, so the runtime for the movie. I know I'm finally done the cast, kids. <laughs> the runtime is an hour and 33 minutes long, rated PG for mild sexual dialogue and implied sexual activity. Comic violence, mild language, and some wine drinking. Yep, that damn wine drinking. Um, the budget was $3 million. Profits were close to $7.2 million, so this movie is considered somewhat of a commercial success. Too bad critics didn't like it. Anyways, finally, the synopsis for this film. Fear and loathing meet hilarity head-on as two bumbling reporters try to unravel the mystery of modern-day Transylvania. Along the way they meet a decidedly bizarre assortment of loonies and throwbacks. There's the lowly servant Radu and his even more lowly Loopy, the oversexed vampiris Odette, who has an unnatural penchant for necking, the mysterious gypsy Madame Morovia, who babbles about a werewolf named Larry, and there's the mad doctor, Dr. Malavakwa, who's been carrying on some rather shady experiments. What the reporters uncover is enough to scare the cape off any self-respecting count. The good citizens of Transylvania cordially invite you to this, the most fright frighteningly funny event of the year. God, I can't even say that right. It's a wild ghost chase. It's a macabre monster mash. It's a vampire's delight. It's Transylvania 6, 5,000. And for this segment of the show, I'm calling it Is Good, huh? Is Good, Is Funny. <laughs> if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm getting at. Anyways, so a few little tidbits of facts and, you know, behind the scenes shit, and then we'll get into what I thought of this movie. So basically, the film was largely, it was filmed largely in uh, uh, Yugoslavia. And the movie was financed by the Dow Chemical Company in order to spend frozen finances that, you know, they couldn't spend anywhere else. Um, they had these frozen finances in Yugoslavia, so they decided to free that money by sponsoring this movie. Um, at the time, Yugoslavian law would not allow the Dow Company to exchange the money made in Yugoslavia to U.S. funds. So, in other words, this movie, the, the money was stuck there. 
So the movie was basically made using those funds so that they could basically spend them up and get rid of them. And hence we have this movie. We love them for it. Now, it's not the first time, though, that we've heard of the Dow Chemical Company being associated with a movie. I've talked about this before on another review when I reviewed Return of the Living Dead. Because in Return of the Living Dead, the Darrow Chemical Company that manufactures the 254 trioxin in the film was based off of the Dow Chemical Company. Because the Dow Chemical Company in the 60s was known for possibly manufacturing a little chemical known as Agent Orange. And so that's kind of where they were going with the whole Return of the Living Dead thing, but they couldn't say the Dow Chemical Company, so they changed it to Darrow in their movie. Um, in terms of the casting for this movie, Jeff, it's it, kind of funny how this works. So Jeff Goldblum gets his role as Jack Harrison, and then he suggests Ed Begley Jr. for the role of Gil. Ed Begley Jr. in turn recommends Michael Richards for the role of Feo. So it was kind of like, okay, well, one guy gets in. He says, I got a friend who then says, I got a friend. And that's how a lot of these guys got their roles. Um, as for Michael Richards, so he's brought on because Ed Begley Jr. recommends him. And apparently within a minute of his start at, like starting his audition, he already had the role because he just started crashing around and slipping on the floor. And they thought it was hilarious. The producers tried to talk the director out of casting him, but he was like, no, 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 we're keeping this guy because he's hilarious. Um, this is the movie where Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum first met. As some of you may know, they eventually would get married and then since have now divorced and whatnot. This is also the first of three films that they would work together on, the other two being The Fly and Earth Girls Are Easy. And I may have already mentioned that when I reviewed The Fly way back when. Uh, Gina Davis and Jeffrey Jones would also work together again a few years later on Beetlejuice. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so here's here's a kind of a funny thing for you to think about because okay, when Rudy wrote this, like when he wrote the story and you know was coming up with the screenplay and all this other stuff, he had Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari in mind, and the reason why was because he saw their TV show Bosom Buddies. He actually wanted to get them into this film. As a matter of fact, I believe he even talked with Peter Scolari about doing this movie. The production company, on the other hand, said, uh-uh, no way, we don't want this because they'd never heard of Tom Hanks. Oof! Like, seriously, what a fuck-up that was. Like, okay, don't get me wrong, I love Jeff Goldblum's in this, but you passed on Tom Hanks because you didn't know who he was. Do you know who he is now? <laughs> the same goes, the same applies for Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser was another guy that, you know, Rudy was like, okay, we'll bring this guy on. We don't know who he is either. Wait, what? Uh, I get, yes, this was early 80s and whatnot, but seriously, you didn't know who Tom Hanks was? I mean, I remember Bosom Buddies. How the hell does a production company not know? But anyways, uh, another fun fact about this movie is this is a very tall cast, and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, here's the thing. So you look at your main characters. You have Jeff Goldblum, Ed Begley Jr., Michael Richards, Jeffrey Jones, and Gina Davis. Do you know between the, what, five of them? They all averaged six foot, like three inches tall. It was a very tall cast. And I guess it's something that Rudy always liked to point out whenever he did commentaries or interviews or whatever. He'd always say, I had a very tall cast. Um, 
Now, the film's title, Transylvania 65000, is a pun based on an old Glenn Miller song, Pennsylvania 65000. And for those of you who might remember, there's a Bugs Bunny animated short called Transylvania 65000. Uh, that came out in 1963. I knew I wrote it down somewhere. Um, in terms of physical releases for this movie, this movie was only available through VHS until 2004. And then a Finally, in 2004, Anchor Bay released it on DVD, and then in 2020, it was finally released on Blu-ray through Kino Lorber's distribution. Now, what do I like or dislike about this movie? Well, here's the thing. So, I'm a little biased, because this movie is a childhood memory of mine. Uh, the first time I ever saw it was on VHS. Uh, so, and keep in mind, when I first saw it, I didn't know of this movie. I didn't remember it being in the theaters or anything. It ended up that uh, my mom, because like everybody in the 80s, what do you do? You go rent movies on a Friday night and you rent them for three days and or two days, whatever. You have them for the weekend and that's that's your weekend. I was an 80s kid. You know, we, we didn't, before Blockbuster, because Blockbuster was like a 90s thing. In the 80s, we had jumbo video, we had applause video, and then we had like a ton of mom and pop shops and convenience stores that always rented you know vhs tapes and whatnot anyways i i believe we got this one from jumbo video my mom was there and she was checking out movies she knew that i liked you know universal monster movies like dracula and frankenstein and all those you know the mummy and all that sees this movie and thinks okay well you know it should be fun for him whatever and she rented it and i watched it and i remember laughing my ass off as a kid watching this movie it was also one that stuck with me, though, through my teenage years and into my adult years. Now, I mean, again, it wasn't an easy one to find. As a matter of fact, uh, hello, I'm going to, you know, snitch on ourselves and whatnot. But anyways, we did the whole tape to tape thing. Uh, you guys won't remember this unless you were around in the 80s. You used to get two VCRs and you'd patch an RCA, you know, um, like an RCA cable from one to the other, going from output to input, and you would record from tape to tape. Bootlegs, right? That's how they happened. Well, we did that because, you know, I, I didn't see this movie around very often and whatnot, so we rented it, and we did that. And that's how I had it for years. And then finally, it, I do remember getting the DVD. As a matter of fact, I still have the DVD. I don't have the Blu-ray yet, just because I... <laughs> I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, it's one I plan on getting eventually. But anyways, that's how I remember watching it is from that old dubbed version that I had when we rented it and whatnot. Anyways, it's a stupid movie. It's got silly slapstick gags, sexual puns, absurd scenarios. It's stupid. It's, yeah, I mean, your, your two reporters work for, what is it, a tabloid known as the Sentinel that... The editor-in-chief is Gil's father, who played by Norman Fell, and he just wants he wants a headline. That's all he's worried about. And so he's sending them off to Transylvania based off of some video that looks like it's totally staged. It's a VHS tape that he basically pulls out, hands it to them, and says, Look, you're going to Transylvania. You're going to fucking in investigate this shit. And don't come back without a fucking headline or you don't have a job. I love the part where, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character stands up and basically goes, didn't you hire me to raise the level of 
you know, the in- integrity of the paper. And he's like, no, I, I hired you so that you increase the vocabulary. He's like, I want to keep the integrity down on the down low. And st-. to me, I'm thinking Fox News. <laughs> like, what the hell? This is hilarious. This is so Fox News, like 20 years in advance. Um, and I mean, the thing is, is like, sure, I've seen a lot of criticisms about this movie, but I feel the way I feel about this movie is kind of how I feel about superhero movies and movies like Morbius and stuff like that. Stop criticizing them as if they're meant to be the next Gandhi or Schindler's list and just have fun with them. I mean, here's the thing. So you, first off, you've got Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr. The two reporters, they work hilariously off each other. I mean, every, every stupid little gag from, Hey, you didn't knock on the door. And then he knocks and he doesn't reply to him. And and there's a whole, back and forth between that and they're just hilarious together you have uh patar buntik as the monster he's the frankenstein monster he's great for a guy with no lines and a whole lot of grunting but it still works he's and he does the frankenstein monster walk and everything i know they call him frankenstein throughout the whole fucking movie but and then you find out at the very end, the twist, obviously, he's not Frankenstein. He's a guy by the name of Hunyadi who was in a car accident. He never would walk again, this and that. And Dr. Malavacqua was doing all these experiments to try and help the guy have a life again. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it wasn't obviously what the town folk thought or whatever. Uh, look at Gina Davis in this film. She's both sexy and hilarious. Like, first off, yeah, teenage kids watching this movie? Yeah, we know why we like Gina Davis. But, I mean, she's also, like, super hilarious as, like, this, like, nymphat, uh, like, nymphomaniac, basically. And, oh, I need him. I love him and stuff. And doing the whole Bella Lugosi, like, accent and whatnot, it totally works. Joseph Bologna playing the whole Jekyll and Hyde character of Dr. Malabaqua is an absolute riot. Especially the scene when it's him and Jeff Goldblum are trying to have a, a conversation. And on one side of the entrance, he's like calm, cool and everything. And then he walks back into the laboratory and all of a sudden he's fucking crazy and trying to kill, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character and whatnot. It's so hilarious. And the insults that he throws at John Biner and Carol Kane. I mean, it's like, you idiots. It's like, oh, come on. Like, seriously. But they're adorable. But it's whatever. Uh, Michael Richards. Okay. He's a fucking blast. Uh, <laughs> I mean, right from the first scene we get with him with that doll. And if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. Jeff Goldblum, Ed Begley Jr.'s characters, Gil and Jack, they... Show up at this castle, this castle that has an ominous aura, aura, and, you know, Jeff Goldblum's, like, ominous aura, and it says, we accept American Express. It's fucking funny. Uh, Anyways, Michael Richards answers the door, and he opens it slightly, and then there's, like, this little, like, doll, and he's making this high-pitched noise, and it's so stupid, but it's just funny. Like, I mean, if you just let it go, like, Again, this is one of those movies where it's like, he's good, huh? He's good? He's funny? Like, the scene um, at the breakfast table when uh, Gil is trying to eat. Uh, the mayor has invited Gil and Jack for breakfast, and they're eating. And, you know, Faos is making Gil, like, sniff everything. Like, here, here, here's the cream. Smell the cream. Smell good. Smell good. Smell the sugar. Smell the... Smell, he grabs an ashtray. He's like, smell the glass. It's good. It's good, eh? It, it's so stupid, but it's just, it's funny. Um, 
And then there's Jeffrey Jones, the mayor. Um, quite an odd and funny character as well. Uh, he's got these weird sayings throughout the movie where he's like, it's like when you Americans say when until the cows come home or nothing wrong with making a buck. And it's that part kind of makes me laugh because, yeah, I, so many people outside of America, they think of America, they think capitalists right away. So, so when he's like, nothing wrong with making a buck, it's like, hmm, yeah, okay. But Americans don't actually say that. At least I've never heard an American say that, but whatever. Um, but okay. So one of the real highlights for this film for me, and again, I'm, I'm focusing primarily on the actors because it's the performances in this movie that make this movie, John Biner and Carol Kane as Radu and Loopy. Most of their scenes in this movie were totally ad-libbed. They were done right on the fly. And the two of them have just such a great chemistry that they totally make it work. What is it? The scene in the kitchen where we first kind of discover well we meet loopy for the first time but we we sort of know radu from you know when he's out talking with uh gil jack and mayor lepescu and then he goes into the back because he's gonna you know he's gonna cut their 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 what is it grapefruits he's gonna cut the grapefruit and he's gonna bring it out to them as a you know an appetizer or whatever and so i apparently rudy said that in the script um, for Carol and John, it basically said cut fruit. They turned it into a whole like three minute, like slapstick funny episode and everything is totally ad libbed. You never would have known that. The best part for me is when they, they've got the sliding doors for the cupboards and, um, Radu goes to reach in to grab a bowl and, Loopy is like, oh, I'll get a bowl. And she goes and she slides the door the other way and like slams his wrist, basically. <laughs> and it's like they're totally creating this on the fly as they go. And it just it works so well. It, they're a true highlight in this film. And then there's Donald Gibb as the Wolfman. I mean, OK, I'm I have to be honest here. Seriously, my favorite role of him will always be from Bloodsport. Uh, but he's just too great in this film. The problem is he's underused. Um, with a film like this, it's hard to make note of things like score and makeup and special effects because those were not the main focus for this film. The main focus is totally on the performances of the cast. And there's a lot of extras in this film. All the extras were, um, Croatian locals basically in Yugoslavia. And what is it I read? So, so the first day of auditions i think it was it ended up there was like a big snow blizzard or something like that and so a lot of the um the casting for the extras and whatnot was basically done before the scene so if let's say they're doing the scene um at the festival they basically cast all the extras like right then they were like okay you 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 and you go get some wardrobe and come back out and you're going to be, you know, sitting at these tables and watching the performance while we film the rest of it. And so it was all done on the fly because they, they couldn't really do auditions because of the weather and whatnot. Um, but I mean, it's the main cast. They, they just stand out. Uh, the, the scene with Elizabeth, when she crashes the bottle over the one cop's head. And then she's like, basically like pre ready to stab the cops. And she's like, you want to eat some glass? And it's like, what? <laughs> but it's just funny. Um, 
it, it's just it's the way that gags sell it's the way the dialogue is delivered and yes this movie is immature it's stupid but it has such a light-hearted sense of fun and humor at what at the expense of being an homage to the films of the golden age monsters, you know, you know, uh, the golden age monsters of the silver screen, like the Wolfman and the mummy and, you know, Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and whatnot. I mean, critics hate this movie. Critics fucking hate this movie. Leonard Moulton. Okay. I mentioned earlier about Leonard Moulton. So he did a review for entertainment tonight at the time. And he, he wears this with pride okay whatever if you do if you want to go ahead but he gave it his shortest review ever because basically what he did was like he played like the the little jingle where it says transylvania six doom doom five thousand he played that and then he wrote or he said stunk i'm leonard Moulton, entertainment tonight and that was his review like seriously he said the movie was shit um without saying it was shit but TheFilmFrenzy.com uh, gave the movie one star out of four, claiming that Transylvania 65000 might be the worst horror comedy ever made. Mm, I don't know about that, but anyways, uh, their review went on to basically insult every aspect of the movie, including the actors, making it sound like these people were talentless hacks who didn't deserve to be considered actors. Like It's, it's a harsh review. It really is. And I don't understand why. Um... The New York Times, they wrote, you know, the actors in Transylvania 65000 seem to have the impression that they are doing something funny, though where they got that idea is anybody's guess. Wait, what? Like, sometimes, you know, (laughs) some people think I'm too serious. I wonder about film critics. I really do sometimes. Like, I, I seriously think they got a fucking broomstick shoved so far up their ass, they don't know how to laugh. Um the New York Times uh, review went on to say it cannot have come from the screenplay, which was written by Rudy DeLuca, who also directed the film as a series of utterly listless comic setups. It's not that Mr. DeLuca has done anything wrong. Exactly. It's simply that he never does anything right. Ouch. Um, because this is a guy who wrote screenplays and stories for like many of the great Mel Brooks films uh, that I mentioned earlier, including probably my favorite Mel Brooks film of all, uh, Spaceballs. So I, I'd like to go on the record as saying that I do think he does some things right. <laughs> um, and there are also people that have said that, you know, uh, if you take this movie and you compare it to Young Frankenstein, which was a Mel Brooks film that Rudy was not a part of, um, that, you know, obviously this movie makes you want to watch Young Frankenstein. I love Young Frankenstein, but I love this movie too. This movie has a score of 10 out of 100 on Metacritic, 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 4.9 out of 10 on IMDb. The Podcast Zero rating says this, fuck all that noise, okay? This movie is stupid fun. It's not even meant to be taken serious in any degree or amount at all. Is it a perfect movie? Not even close. Not even close, but it can definitely bring a smile to one's face as long as one is not being a stubborn ox. Take the stick out of your ass and have some fun with something for once. Uh, In some ways, this movie... I, I, I already said this, but I'll follow it up one more time. In some ways, this movie gets compared to Young Frankenstein, a Mel Brooks film that Rudy was not a part of. It's probably safe to say that, yes, Young Frankenstein is the better of the two films. I'm not going to deny that. 
Young Frankenstein is a lot funnier than this movie. It was also done in black and white and way better homage to those classic films from the, you know, the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. But this movie is still worth a watch. And as long as you turn off your brain and allow yourself to have a laugh and you're not some stuck-up prick, the movie can actually be enjoyed quite thoroughly. Maybe I'm just nostalgic. And maybe it's dear to my heart because of my childhood memories. But I can't help but be charmed by this film. For me... My opinion on this film is it's a seven bazonkers out of ten. And if you've seen this movie, you know what bazonkers are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, I think the movie's fun. I think it's a joy. I, 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 don't, I don't go into this movie looking for something that's going to change my life or something that... This is the thing. We have to learn to enjoy movies again. I was saying to a friend uh, just recently about the whole Morbius thing. And I was saying, you know, I think part of the problem is is audiences these days go into movies ready to be movie critics and not to be movie fans. I think we really need to start just enjoying movies again. And I'm totally okay with people that don't like movies. There's nothing wrong with not liking a movie, but you don't have to be so harsh about it. Like, okay, your opinion is the movie's not that good. Then fine, it's not that good. But that doesn't mean that you have to say it's a dumpster fire or the most awful movie I've ever seen. I'm sure you've seen movies that are worse. And if you haven't come by my way, I have quite a few I could show you. Uh, so, I mean, it is what it is, man. Like, I don't know. I, this movie brings joy to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably giving it an extra point or two out of nostalgia because I grew up with this movie. I love this movie. And it's a chance for me to watch like Jeff Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr., Gina Davis. Michael Richards doing something other than Cosmos Kramer. Um, you know, Jeffrey Jones, when I was a kid growing up, I'm not going to lie, like his stuff outside of the film world and whatnot, the reason why he sort of dipped off out of the scene and stuff, I'm not going to lie, it broke my heart a little. Um, I didn't have a hard time believing it, if that sucks to say. But the thing is, is that I grew up with watching him in movies like Ferris Bueller's and Howard the Duck and this. And I always loved him. I always thought he was such a fucking joy. So, I mean, I I try to... And it's, I know, sometimes it's hard. But sometimes I try to separate the man from his characters. You know what I'm saying? And in this case, I love Jeffrey Jones in this movie. I think he is super hilarious as the mayor. Um, I don't know. It's like I said, it's a seven bazonkers out of 10 for me. <laughs> um, and anyways, on that note, I got to just say, thanks for listening guys. I've been talking an awful lot. Um, there's a, I, I could talk more about this movie, but I really, I got a lot out of my notes. Cause it's like, this is going on too long. And, but yeah, I just, I love this movie. I love it so much. Um, and, you know, I hope that if you have seen this movie that you enjoyed it too. Let me, let me put it that way. I, if you didn't, you didn't. And it is what it is. That's movies, you know. But I like it because it's a stupid, fun little movie that means nothing except, hey, we took a bunch of Universal Studio monster movies and we gave them a little homage by doing a cheesy little comedy. So, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to me babble yet another week. And you know what? I'm 
we've been I've been doing this now for 121 episodes and every episode I end the same way saying, you know, you can find it on Spotify, Apple, Google, podcast streaming apps and stuff like you guys know. If you're listening to this, you know where you can find it. A lot of you are finding it through Facebook these days. I know that. Which is I'm totally fine with that. Um social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Those are the three I have. I won't go further than that. Um But yeah, I I realize, you know, 121 episodes, not including specials and side projects and or side episodes and stuff like that. I think, oh, I think in total I've done probably like a hundred and what, 130 episodes, I think. So, I mean, you guys know by now where to find this, you know, and you keep coming back and I love you for it. So thank you so much for that. But yeah podcast streaming apps whichever one you use you're obviously using it and you're listening and you're enjoying at least i hope you're enjoying i will say this though i will tell you what next episode is the next episode 122 is going to focus on a movie from 1971 yes i'm jumping out of the 80s finally (laughs) i'm going to another decade uh 1971 a film that was directed by mel wells and starred actors uh, Joseph Cotton and Rosalba Neri as both the Baron and Tanya Frankenstein. I know I'm sticking within that sort of realm, but I'm going a different decade. So now I'm going to be talking about another type of Frankenstein movie. And when I say that, I mean Lady Frankenstein, which is an interesting film. Some people like really heckling it really badly. Some people actually really appreciate it for what it is. And it's a, 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 a sort of a grindy, gritty. I don't want to say it's a grindhouse flick because it's not. It's sort of reminiscent of like a Hammer film, but it's from 1971. And it's one that I actually really like. I got inspired to do this actually because. On April 1st, uh, they had on Comet uh, Comet TV Network, they had a back-to-back um, marathon of Elvira's movie Macabre, and she did two films. She did The Werewolf from Washington and Lady Frankenstein. And watching Lady Frankenstein on Elvira's movie Macabre again, I was like, I really do like this movie. <laughs> I mean, I have it on Blu-ray. I, obviously, I like it. Which actually, that... It was it that night or the following night I ended up watching the Blu-ray um, just because I wanted to watch it but it's an enjoyable little flick there's one part in the movie though I, I'll talk more in depth about it next episode obviously but there's one part <laughs> even Elvira makes fun of it in her movie Macabre uh, episode of Lady Frankenstein where like the music was so loud you can't even hear what the cast like the, the two cast members are saying <laughs> Maybe if you had subtitles on, you'll know what they're saying. But the music cut like so loud, it's like, eh, that's some poor editing. But it's still a movie I love. Anyways, so next week or next episode, I should say, because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it next week. I'm hoping. But anyways, next episode, 122, will be Lady Frankenstein. On that note, I know I've talked way too much and someone just can't wait to tell me off. You need to shut the fuck up. Fuck you. Give me a bottle of booze. Here's my dollar. Suck my dick.